You're listening to the podcast of Eucharist Church in San Francisco, a community of faith seeking to live all of life in reference to Christ. Join us now for this week's message. I can recall at various times in my career hearing this phrase, we can always pray. Usually it was a throwaway line that someone said when faced with a task or project whose outcome was highly in doubt. Well, if this doesn't work, this project goes down the pan, we can always pray. Hey, what if that CEO doesn't get his funding? Oh well, we can always pray. There are things to notice in this phrase, a certain skepticism, an air of resignation the expression of doubt, and in particular, the absence of someone to actually pray to. It's one thing to hear our work colleagues say this, but I hope we haven't heard this amongst some of our Christian friends. Like, hey, how's that going? Well, we can always pray. It's like, dude, you belong to the Lord. You should be praying a lot. And that's the theme of the, the verses that we have in front of us. If you just sort of think for a moment of the Old Testament and the epistle reading and the gospel, They have their nexus, their focus on the joy and the need of prayer. Our texts speak to the absolute necessity and the amazing effect of prayer in our lives and in the world around us when we pray. And prayer is quite simply life-changing and very much world-changing. Prayer isn't a last resort, but it is a first priority. We shouldn't say, well, we can always pray, but we should say, we can always pray. I think that's the spirit of what these passages capture for us. And that my hope is to unpack that in our time this morning. But if you think about the passages that were read, you also know that they're realistic in the fact that it is hard to pray at times. That there's things that get us off course. And any honest expositor is going to want to deal with some of those. So we'll look at the things that get us off course in our prayer life. Things that, you know, like when we experience delays in the prayers that we're praying, or we get distracted, or things that just sort of die in the, when we pr- are praying for them, and we just realize that's not going to happen. We'll look at that. But prayer itself is a pretty wide subject, and, I, and so I think it's helpful to focus, and our particular Old Testament pa- passage focuses, focuses us on intercessory prayer, on being the go-between between someone or something or some situation and the Lord God. And this is where we find Abraham in Genesis 18. He is an intercessor for the righteous in Sodom. The Lord has said to Abraham, he has explained to Abraham or revealed to him that he is going to go down to Sodom and find what's going on there because he's heard reports of a whole outbreak of evil and destructive things. And he's going to find out for himself. But the implication is that if he finds those reports to be true, destruction lies ahead. And so Abraham is the go-between. He is the one who is interceding for the righteous in Sodom. And he does this in a really clever way. He's actually a good negotiator. He establishes a baseline. Lord, if if I can find 50 people, if there are 50 people in here, is that going to be okay? The Lord says, if there are 50 righteous in Sodom, I will spare the city. Abraham says, what if 50 minus 5? Like, okay, what's that? 45, right. What if 45 people are in there? Okay, if 45 are there who are righteous, I will spare the city. Abraham gets them to 40. Okay, 45 to 40. Is that okay, Lord? 
The Lord says, yes, for 40 people. Abraham is aware that time is moving on. He doesn't have any, too, many, too many more bites at this apple. So he has to say, okay. He goes in now increments of 10 instead of 5. 40 to 30, yes. 30 to 20, yes. Okay, he's at his last you know, negotiating position. What if 10 people are found righteous? Will you spare the city? And the Lord says yes, and Abraham knows that's it. That's his last shot. If 10 people are there, and of course we know that not 10 are found because the Lord does destroy Sodom in chapter 19. And who are there? The Lord does save the righteous people that are there. There are four. There are Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. So the righteous are saved. It was just so, such a small amount. And we learned something about intercessory prayer from this episode. We learned, first of all, that to be moved to intercession. See, Lot is actually part of Abraham's family. Family. Lot is a cousin. And so Abraham's concerned about his, his family. And, and he's actively working. He's standing before the Lord and he's pleading on their behalf. He's actually negotiating on their behalf. And it's the prototype to what we understand intercession to be. There, notice the persistence in what's going on. See, when we intercede for people, sometimes we just go, we send up a prayer, I hope they're okay, Lord, bless them, move in this way, and we're done. But intercessory prayer, particularly for the things that matter to us most, have a persistent feature to them. And this is what we see Abraham doing on behalf of his family. And it's not just Abraham, because Abraham is really a prototype to intercessory prayer that we find throughout Scripture. Jesus himself is interceding for his disciples. Famously, he does that in Luke 22 when he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you disciples as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, that when you have turned back, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He knows that Peter's going to fail that test, that he will deny the Lord three times, even though Peter vehemently denied that that was what he was going to do. And yet he's interceding for Peter, that 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 would not take Peter completely out of God's plan and will for him. That as heartbreaking as that eventually turns out to be, and it says that Peter's weeping for his denial of the Lord, that that is not going to destroy his relationship and the giving of his life to the Lord. That he would turn back and after seeing the Lord's forgiveness, strengthen his brothers. Romans 8 speaks not only of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, but also speaks to the Holy Spirit doing the same thing. Romans 8, 26, 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, don't, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance, for the will, in accordance with the will of God. How amazing, how consoling, how encouraging is it to know that God himself, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, are inter is interceding for each of us. Be, you know, it's not just because we can't find the words. It's that, that meaning is, is deeper than that. It means that we don't even know what to pray at times. How, how many of you are in a situation right now and you think, whoa, I'm not quite sure what to do here. I might think of this, or I might think of that. I'm thinking of both things. I'm adding a third, a fifth. I talked to friends. I got a ninth and a tenth. There's so many things going into my mind. I don't even know how to pray about this situation. 
Here's the good news for today. Part of the good news is that the Lord, His Holy Spirit, is interceding, expressing what, to pray for you in ways that you don't even know yet. So part of my prayer in times like that is, Lord, help me get in touch with what you're praying for me about. Help me to, if I'm not sure which way I'm supposed to go, help me know that way. What are you praying for me about in this situation? Now, it's not just a divine revelation per se. That's important to pray and to hear the Spirit. But he may be pointing you to a scripture to say, yeah, here's what I want to show you in my word that will guide you in the way that you should go. You, or you don't need to necessarily know all the answers right now. You just need to be faithful and under the shadow of my wings. And I will walk you through whatever is of great concern and deeply um, meaningful to you. The Lord is doing this for us. St. Paul does it for his disciples. He says to Timothy, I urge, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. Paul is encouraging his disciples to be intercessors for those around him. And not just your friends, but for those in authority. You know, don't, don't get stuck on small prayers. Let the Lord lead you to pray for big things. And then Paul himself recognizes that he needs intercession. He says this to Corinthians, coming out of a really extreme situation where he said, we despaired of life itself. We thought we had the sentence of death on us, but God rescued us. And then he says, in kind of reflecting on this near-death experience, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers, as you stay faithful to interceding. And he goes on, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to, to us in answer to the prayers of many. So intercessory prayer is absolutely necessary. It's vital for us to intercede for others and for others to intercede for us if we are to live the lives that God has for us. Intercessory prayer should be thought of as a lifeline. What's a lifeline? I was thinking about that. Uh, found Homer's painting, Winslow Homer's famous painting by that same name called The Lifeline. Some of you have seen it. Homer was a 19th century American painter, painted a lot of things in a bit in that romantic style. Um, but here's a lifeline. The lifeline was actually a technology that was used to help people get off of ships, sailing ships that had run aground on rocks. And they would set up this pulley system on shore. Some brave person would go and, and hook it up to the ship. And then they would remove the passengers one by one through the treacherous waves. They, it was an urgent matter because that ship wasn't going to be stable for very long. It was getting pounded by the surf. It was breaking apart. Time was of the essence to get those people off. And so Homer is depicting this in his, in his painting. You see... Uh, the man is, whose face is obscured by the shawl of the woman who is being rescued. The man is sitting in a life ring, and he's holding on to the woman, literally for dear life. She has been subjected to the shipwreck, exposure to the elements. She looks unconscious or barely conscious. Her arms draped down her right arm to the, on the side. She's barely hanging on with her left. If she wasn't being held on to by the man, what hope would she have? And this is what Homer's trying to convey, that the lifeline is absolutely essential for life. And I think it is a great metaphor for the role that intercessory prayer plays in our lives. It is literally a lifeline for us 
throughout our life. Paul, the, the passage that I read just from Paul and reflecting on his experience is essentially saying that same thing, that your prayers were a lifeline that got us through when we didn't think we'd make it. And I like this painting because I think if we're honest, we kind of take a, a look at it, you can see we can be either of those people in the painting. There's times we are the woman in need of complete rescue, barely conscious for whatever setbacks and challenges life has thrown at us. And we need to be held by our brothers and sisters through prayer who are interceding on our behalf to the Lord to say, help this person. Help them see, see them through this challenge, this absolute surprise, this sudden grief that's come upon them, whatever the issue is. And then at times where the man, the seafarer, who, who by design is, has volunteered to go and intercede, to go and rescue this woman. Part of the reason his face is obscured is because it's immaterial who he is. What's important is what he is doing. And that's the same with us. It's important that we are interceding for those around us, interceding for our family members, interceding for those who persecute you. Remember, intercession isn't just about your family as it was with Abraham in the example we looked at. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. He's interceding for the very people that are killing him. Intercession is broad, and it is deep, and it is a privilege. We can find ourselves in both parts of Homer's painting, can't we? And yet, our gospel reading recognizes that it is difficult to be in prayer. It's difficult to be in intercessory prayer. It's why Jesus tells that parable of the person who won't give hospitality to his neighbor, shuts him out, says, I'm all in bed, I'm not giving you any bread, I'm sorry. That was a huge violation in Bible times of hospitality. You got yourself out of bed and you helped your neighbor. There was no debate about that. And so the hearers of this parable are like, whoa, how is this not happening? But Jesus is describing it this way because he wants to show the persistent nature of prayer. And I want to speak to the persistent nature of intercessory prayer, persisting for those who are in our lives, who God has put on our heart to pray for them in certain seasons. And sometimes those seasons are longer. But why is it difficult? Why is Jesus even telling us that prayer? Well, it's difficult for a variety of reasons. Three that um, I can speak to uh, both from experience and from pastoring. One would be delay. And what do I mean by delay? There's times where we get discouraged in praying for others. There's times we grow weary in doing that because of the delay in the answer. We say, you know, how much more time, how many more prayers do I have to give for my addicted family member or my addicted friend? It's just relapse after relapse after relapse. You know what? I'm tired of it. I'm going to forget it. What about people that you long to know the Lord in the way that you know him? And you talk and you try and you are trying to help them, but they keep kind of putting the arm out, the hand out. They don't want to hear it. It's easy to give up. You say, well, what's the point? What's the use? I guess they're just not part of who you've planned to save, Lord. I have to confess that this is a bit of my own testimony about my own testimony about my dad. I came to faith in college. I was pretty excited about that. I wanted to share the, the hope of the gospel with my family who were not believers. I, you know, get some time with my dad. I'm giving him 
a little overview of what the gospel is. I give him a track. I'm like, Dad, this is so exciting. And I remember he read it, and he gave it back to me. And in so many words, and they were quite brief, it's not for me, is what he said. Okay? So I prayed for him, had friends pray for him. But over the years, frankly, I, I, grew, I grew tired. I grew weary. There were times I gave up. So that's my, not even on my radar anymore. My dad eventually came to faith about 20 years after this initial gospel explosion in my house. And I remember marveling when he gave his life at an Easter service. Like, Lord, all those, you know, those prayers that I prayed, and I didn't think there were many, you honored them. Whatever meager intercessory prayers I was giving, you took those, you used those to be a lifesaver, to be a lifeline to him. Now, I'm sure I am praying for people to know the Lord who will not know the Lord this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean I should not pray for them. It means I should be fervent in doing so. I can just give thanks to the Lord that out of his mercy, he used those prayers as part of his plan to bring my dad into the full and saving knowledge of him. So sometimes when our prayer answers to prayer are delayed that we've been so fervent about, we can just sort of pull back we can grow tired. And if that's you, I want to encourage you with the gospel reading. That sense of being persistent. Don't give up. You are part of the lifeline for that situation, for that person. However God chooses to use it. Another reason I think we grow weary in prayer and, and tend to pull back from it is that we get distracted. We get distracted by the solutions that the world offers. Have you ever seen somebody who was once fervent in prayer and then they just grow cold because they say, you know what, I don't think God wants what I want in my life. I think the world offers some alternatives. I think the world has a better explanation for how things really work around here. So I'm just going to camp out there. There's a, we were talking in catechesis this morning about how in Silicon Valley, where Vicki and I live, we live in Mountain View, how there's a lot, there's kind of regular articles about the, the hope and promise of technology, that perhaps with AI, our consciousness that is now in our brains and in our bodies can actually at some point in the future inhabit some kind of technological basis that allows us to live far longer than just our bodies can, allows us to be in existence. It's kind of brave new world stuff. But it is being talked about with a degree of seriousness and agree, a degree sometimes of aspiration. And anything that sets itself up as an alternative to the living God is something that should concern us, something that we should pray about. But there's times where we can go after the alternatives that the world is offering. This is why our epistle reading says to us, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. So if Jesus is over every ruler and authority, what do, what do some of these alternatives really offer me? Now, again, I'm not talking about science or things like that. I'm talking about things that set themselves up in opposition to God and as alternatives, as if God is not necessary or never existed. Let's not be distracted. Let's continue in prayer in all things. Let's continue to intercede for those around us. Prayer changes things. And prayer, it, people don't necessarily need 
your wisdom or my wisdom. You might have a word to speak to them, but they don't necessarily need that more than they need your prayer. Constantly, they need your prayer. As thinking about this, I ran across a reflection by the Archbishop of Loretta who was talking about when he met Mother Teresa before she passed away. He said this, he said, she looked at me with two clear and piercing eyes. And then she asked me, how many hours do you pray a day? I was surprised by such a question and tried to defend myself by saying, Mother, I expected you to speak about charity, to invite me to love the poor more. Why do you ask me about how many hours I pray? Mother Teresa took my hands and held them tightly in her own, as if she wanted to pass on to me what she had in her heart. Then she told me in confidence, My child, without God, we are too poor to be able to help the poor. Remember, I am only a poor woman who prays. When I pray, God puts his love into my heart so that I can love the poor by praying. You know, when you pray for others, when you're interceding for them, God is using that to change you, to make you more in touch with his love and his relationship. It's not just about them. It's very much about us at the same time. So don't let the world's alternatives and the distractions that, you know, distract us away from being front and center before the Lord. A third reason I find that causes us to grow weary or grow faint is what I call destruction. When, when things that we've been praying about don't happen. In fact, what we are praying about dies in some way, shape, or form. Our hope dies. Maybe we were praying for that relationship to be restored, but instead of being restored, the divorce occurs. We prayed for that friend or that loved one who has real illness to get better, but they pass on. We're praying for that job that we know is just right for us. And within 60, 90 days of getting it, things change and we're no longer in that job. The fact is, in this life, such things happen. And they can rock our world. They can really separate us um, from just even understanding who God is in those moments. And if we're just in that kind of feeling of being concussed. We're like, which way is up, Lord? This is happening in my life. What's going on? I'm not saying, oh, now's the time to double down on intercession. But maybe that's the time to seek somebody out and just say, would you pray for me? I just don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm not in the place I want to be because of what's happened, but I just need some prayer help. Frankly, that's one of the reasons why we have prayer counselors that that will pray for you uh, after communion. They'll also pray for you after service because intercessory prayer is that important. So don't, don't hear in this that you can't be in that place, but hear in this that there's others that God has provided you to help you be in that place with you and then over time to help you lead you to a place of greater connection with him. So sometimes the, destructions of things that, the destruction of things that we pray about can knock us, but God provides a way through other people. And you who are intercessors, if that's not you, then perhaps the message is to open your heart and your eyes to one or two more people who may be going through something. Maybe it's a random stranger, maybe it's just something who's not much in your world, but God will put that on your heart. And if they start telling you their story, part of the agenda from God's perspective is that you might be able to pray for them. You know, whether you're feeling that your answers to prayer are delayed 
or that you're distracted or that some dreams have died or hopes have died. You know, one of the, these all have in common this, that in one sense they doubt the love and goodness of God. That, Lord, you're not coming through for me in my time frame. I'm doubting you. Lord, I think the world's got better ideas. I'm doubting you. Lord, I don't know how I can go through this. At some level, I'm doubting you. But this is why Luke 11 says, you know, if you fathers, you parents who are steeped in sin, uses the word being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does our heavenly Father know how to give us good gifts? And he gives us even his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is a deposit, that Holy Spirit that is interceding for us, that is, who is groaning for us. And when we don't know what to pray, that very Holy Spirit is God's testimony that we have that hope in the future that he's designed for us. We don't necessarily know all the particulars of it, but we know that it is there. And it is the reason why we must persist in our prayers for others, why we must persist in asking others to pray for us. As we do these things, now and in the days ahead, you will find that the Lord will use you in powerful ways. You will find that your ability to connect with him through, the inter through interceding for others and being interceded for puts you into an aspect of your relationship with the Lord that you have yet to fully experience. And that, that is what I'm thankful for, and that's what I'm praying about, and that's the word that I hope God seals in our hearts and gives us application for in the remainder of this week and in the days ahead. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Eucharist Podcast. For more information, you can visit our website at eucharistsf.com dot org.